Welcome to Commerce Chefs, a quirky and thought-provoking show for future-focused commerce leaders. We're going to pit the world's most brilliant, inspiring, and driven D2C visionaries, the Commerce Chefs, with riveting questions to uncover their secret ingredients at the intersection of passion, performance, and leadership and practice. For the past decade, we've led teams of designers, strategists, and digital wizards at one of the leading e-com agencies in the country to help brave brands become enduring classics. And we're here to indefinitely borrow the strategies and pro tips that will make us all better leaders and make the brands we lead better too. Now that we're officially finished our first season, we've decided to spice things up a little bit over the summer for your listening enjoyment. Every two weeks, we're releasing some of our favorite interviews from season one, but in long form, so we can share even more delicious insights with you. The secret good stuff that you didn't get to hear. So listen in, grab a margarita. No, no, that's awful. Awful sounding and probably tasting too. Okay, okay. Grab a dak Enjoy some easy breezy listening by the poolside with your favorite podcast hosts and let us know what you think in the review section. Today we're featuring Aaron Powell, founder of Bunch Bikes, a superstar interview we did for our 10th episode, Brands That Command. In this interview, Aaron discusses how he started Bunch Bikes and turned his customers into a community of advocates. We also chatted about his philosophy on creating a seamless concierge-style customer experience and what it looks like within his team. Plus, if you stay till the very end, Aaron shares all the secrets of being on Shark Tank. Shh, 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 shh. Whoa, whoa. We weren't supposed to tell them that. We, oh, we, oh no. We, uh, crap. <sighs> Way to screw it up, man. Yeah. Well, without further ado then, here's Aaron's interview. My name is Aaron Powell. I'm the founder and CEO of Bunch Bikes. Bunch Bikes is a direct-to-customer uh, company. We make electric family cargo bikes. And basically imagine a bike with a box on the front you could put up to four kids uh, in and we ship them all over the country and we've been doing it for the last four years. That's amazing. I'll be completely honest. When I first looked at Bunch Bike, I was like, this is crazy. Uh, I was like, I don't, how do you, how do you use it? It feels unwieldy, but I watched some videos, uh, kind of looked at use case scenario, like super, super cool. So before we kind of, I guess, get into this, like where did this idea come from and, and what's that process looked like of building this brand from the wheels up? You know, I had a previous e-commerce business selling jewelry online. I mentioned it in the Shark Tank episode, but it, it wasn't really fulfilling on a personal level. It's like it was making me some money, but it wasn't like I was kind of looking for what's the thing that is like kind of in line with my values that's going to make an impact on the world. And I just got, kind of had my eyes open as I just went through life. And, you know, we, we ended up on a vacation and uh, in Europe, we were in Sweden specifically, and I saw bikes similar to what we sell there and families riding around. And I thought, man, I've been in bike into bikes for 10 years just as like hobby. And I've got kids now and it's becoming harder and harder to get things done around the neighborhood, like with my kids in tow. And I just saw a solution to my own problem and thought, hey, I just want to buy one of these for myself. Found that there wasn't really anybody making them. And so, hey, like, let's just give this a try. See if there's anybody else out there like me 
And pretty much from the beginning, we've been kind of behind demand. The, their customers were just the, out there ready to to order from the first company that kind of showed up. So um, we kind of hit the ground running with it. So what, like, what does that look like then? I mean, we we obviously are, or maybe not obviously, but we are passionate and obsessed with founder-led D2C brands. Just you, you've done a great job of describing, you know, if, if I were a stranger and then I had never come across Bunch before what this is, but how have you found building that brand, building that awareness, bringing this thing into existence that people were looking for, but they didn't really know how to find it or even that they wanted it uh, until they saw it and went, yeah. and, and that's the ongoing challenge. And I knew from the very beginning, like looking at the market, it's like, okay, I'm a guy who wants this. There's got to be other people like me. Odds are, I mean, there's 350 million people here. There's got to be someone else out there like me, but there's nobody done it. There's companies that have tried and gone out of business. So it's like, is there no market or is it just because nobody's done it well? So I knew from the beginning, the challenge was awareness. Like, you know, I'd been into bikes for 10 years, didn't know the product category existed and I would have bought it, you know, if I did. So I knew from the beginning, one, awareness is a challenge. So I need to get in front of millions of people somehow. And at the time I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I get on the Ellen show and then Ellen kind of took a turn for the worst. Like, okay, stay away from Ellen. And then yep. it was like, uh, <laughs> when the, you know, Shark Tank was kind of the way that happened. But, but also from the beginning, it's been, uh, it's just been community and customer to customer, gro- grassroots word of mouth. Every one of these customers, those initial customers, or people just like me who are so excited to finally have like found this thing and just promoting on Instagram or wherever, that they became like the most excited people, right? And they're like the early adopters. They're going to buy it, you know, and they're going to wait six months to get it and they're going to put their money down. And then, you know, it's like they're going to take a chance on a company they never heard of because they're so into the idea. And then, then it's like a very visible thing too, because, you know, like even down to the branding, like I intentionally put this like big logo, like on the side of the bike, just because I, they're, they're rolling billboards. You ride it around your neighborhood, people see it. And I wanted one short little word there on the side, like bunch, what is, go t- go to Google, type in bunch bike, and then you, you, end, you end up finding it just if you're out and about. And what I learned from my own personal experience riding around is that I couldn't get this bike down the street without somebody stopping me, wanting to talk about it. I'd go downtown. People would be asking me if they could take pictures and put them on Instagram. I'm like, there's something special here. And that same experience is being played out day after day with all of our new customers where it's just like, it's just getting enough bikes out there into the wild to where it's just catching on organically. And even early days, like somebody, like if somebody was in Denver and wanted to buy a bike, was like, well, uh, I don't, I'm, we don't have any, like I, I'd go like, go through the customer list on Shopify. Okay. Who's in Denver. And I would literally just like text them or send them an email. It's like, Hey, I've got somebody in your, like your area that would like, would love to try this. And 19 times out of 20, they'd be like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Please put them in contact with me. I'd love to tell them more. They were so, so cool. open to it. Like moms meeting up with moms in parks. Like it was, you know, they were just kind of unofficially doing it. And then when it kind of became like a repeated thing, like, okay, clearly Denver is a hot area for us. And I don't want to just keep asking the same person over and over <laughs> again. Like, I was like, we need to like make something official here. And so we made this bunch ambassador program, which basically made it official. Like, hey, you're going to be an official ambassador. Uh, we're going to compensate you for doing test drives for people on the website. And I think most of them would do it for no compensation because they were doing that in the beginning. They were asking us like, you know, hey, maybe we can make an, like they were asking me to make an ambassador program. It's like, yeah, sure. Okay, let's do it. And so we've got this really unique program that's unlike anything else that anybody's doing, um, which is 
Like you can literally go on our website and meet up with one of our customers, try out their bike, talk to them about it. And, you know, it's, uh, and we're just, and then COVID happened and kind of destroyed all of it. And now we're rebuilding it, but yeah, because um, <laughs> nobody wanted to meet up with anybody. Right. So, um, but it's been a really cool way to kind of grow it independently of like dealers or bike shops or, you know, retailers or anything like that. Um, which if you just saw the bike on the floor in a retail, I, I don't think it communicates the the product, right? It's just, you just see this and you think, what yeah. is this? Like, you know, you don't get it. Like you have, you have to almost talk to somebody who's using it on a daily basis, somebody who's had their life changed by this product and like authentically communicate that, you know, and one-to-one in person has been the way that we've been doing that. And it's also like this connection to, like we talk, you know, you talk a lot about like the customer review is like, such a critical piece in e-commerce. And this is almost an extension of that, right? It's like, they're not just test driving the product. They're, they're speaking with someone who's experienced it and getting that like authentic. It's like getting a review in real time. Yeah. Yeah, Which is like, imagine how powerful that is. Like, that's so cool. I mean, reviews are, you know, of course they're an essential part. And the hardest part about selling like an expensive product online you know, like our bikes are, you know, they retail between five and dollars $5, and the hardest thing to communicate is trust. Like, do, do I trust sending this much money over the internet, sight unseen, you know, and the reviews help. And actually the reviews like are really, really good because we've got a great product and the, the customers are so enthusiastic about it. They're happy to share, you know, maybe more than in a lot of things because these products really are changing their lives and their lifestyle. Hmm. Right about the same time I had this idea to do this, another company started doing the same thing. It's this brand Outer. They sell outdoor furniture, and you can actually go to somebody's backyard and check out their furniture and stuff. And they, <laughs> and so me and me and Jake with Outer, like we go back and forth bouncing ideas off each other. But to this day, like I don't know anybody else doing something similar. Just kind of our brands, like trying to connect in a new way. Um, just a very you know community driven kind of grassroots you know, a company that you can make a connection with and the people. And the idea is like a lot of our early customers, like they, you know, they're bike enthusiasts. They see, you know, the impact from an environmental standpoint, just a community standpoint, just in like in their cities, like they want bikes to be more of a thing. They don't want to be the only person riding this bike around. Yeah, You know, they want other people to have the idea catch on. So they're so excited to share kind of in the greater mission and vision of what, what we're doing. They, they want like a local bike gang that they can go, you know, ride with or whatever. Like they don't want to be the only ones. Yeah. So they're trying to spread that. Like, you know, we've got a woman in Washington, D.C. She's she's probably referred 10 customers to us this year. So it's, it's incredible. She's Unreal. just like, you know, she's in all the Facebook groups telling moms about it. She's like meeting up with people. It's like, you know, and D.C. is such like a perfect area. There's a lot of infrastructure, a lot of places to go, a lot of parks. And like, you know, it's it's really catching on there. And know, you know, with a lot of thanks to to her there, just really getting it going at the grassroots level. So I didn't, we we didn't really know that to that extent, but but there was a, the question that we'd had, Aaron, that was like, what is the role that community has played in your brand building? I mean, it just really seems like to that, to that depth and, and kind of personal extent, like speaking for myself anyway, like I haven't, I haven't heard or, or seen such an awesome example of that one-to-one. And it's, and it's an authentic, it's, it comes down to authenticity and trust too, because yeah, other companies have what they call an ambassador program, which is kind of different than what we're doing, which is basically, we're going to give you free product and swag and you're going to post on your Instagram and everyone knows that you didn't pay for this and they know that you're just promoting it and shilling the company. 
And so it's like, there's this like inauthentic kind of thing to it. Although you do get more awareness and, you know, people end up seeing your product and buying it anyways, but you know, the people that are sharing on social media and stuff for us, like it's, it's very much authentic. Like yeah. even when we do kind of such partnerships with influencers or whatever, it, it's almost always like, you know, they'd almost be willing to pay for the product. And sometimes they even are just, they're just so excited about it. They just, they just want, you know, to, and it comes across very authentic because they're actually using it on a daily basis, right? It's not just something they got for free because they could. And I tend to stay away from people like that, that are just looking for a handout, right? So, but it, even in the beginning, it's like, there's a lot of ways you you can sell a product like this. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, bike companies, they sell through bike shops, right? And it's like, well, my background's in direct to customer. That's what I know. I, I really... That that makes sense to me. Getting that direct feedback loop from the from the end user, and and one reason the bike shops didn't appeal to me is because a lot of times you get like Joe College kid working the counter, and you know he's facilitating test drives. But what does he know about kids? And you know, you know, riding with kids, it's like nothing. Like how can you communicate like the how valuable this product is, right? So you know, and how many how many moms with kids are working in bike shops? Like it's, it's not many. So, um, <laughs> yeah. and it's not just moms I and mean, his dads too, but, yeah. uh, that's like, that was kind of like just me. It was like kind of like just this logical progression of like, okay, well, if I'm not going to go that way and I want to be able to do this, well, this is something we could try that makes sense to me. And it just kind of, or, you know, evolved organically kind of over time. Yeah. I, and, and you're, you bang on. I mean, you, <laughs> unless you have kids, you, you have that pain point of like, how the heck am I trying to do this? And I can't have someone strapped to me in a bucket and then somebody duct taped to like the front handlebars or a wagon. Like, yeah, that's, it could be a game well, changer. All stuff. There's the, there's the gear and the snacks and the, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, the water bottles, like the, all the stuff that goes into getting a child from A to B that if you're not living it day to day, you just don't know. And, um, and, it really like, you know, the, I iterated so much on the product in the beginning because I, I was the guy with two young kids. I was the ideal customer. I'm using the product every day, multiple times a day. And so it's like, I kept f- feeling these pain points like, well, this needs to be better because of this. It's like somebody else, they might just see a bike with a box on it, but I see all the little things that like make it more comfortable. And like, you know, it's like, well, if we swap out for this tire, you know, the kids are actually more comfortable. So they're bouncing around less on their bottoms. You know, it's like they're, they're, you know, they're whining less at me. So <laughs> this is the, this is, this is the tire we're going to use. Right. It's like all these little, all these little things, uh, just kind of adds up. Yeah. Complaints can get tiring. Very nice. Thank Very you. Very okay. nice. <laughs> That's the end of the interview. That's, See you uh, later. Yep. <laughs> I just caught the pun. Actually, it took me a little too oh, long. Oh, it's there. okay. <laughs> you got, we got around to it. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Okay. Around it. Around <laughs> yeah, I, I can't help it. Uh, it's a problem. I want to dig in a little bit to like the, I don't know if this is where you might go later, but like product design and, and brand. Cause I kind of like, you're talking about like the intentionality in the product design. And I think that's such a big thing. And one of the areas we're exploring in this episode is, like brand equity and brand does brand matter. And so think about like, you've got such an intentional product and, and probably I don't, you know better, but I think it's pretty unique and there may not be anything else in the market when something, if something else comes out that similar or comparable, do you see the brand like the, whatever that means to you, what do you see brand playing a part in helping protect what you've built? Or is there a lot that's just, in the product design? Like, how do you see brand interplaying with, with that in the future? Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's, it's almost 50-50. So, like, 
number one is like you gotta you gotta have a product, right? So like and and I worked for years, iterated, finally got the product market fit that I'm really happy with, right? And the reviews are incredible on it. But that's that's only half the the picture, you know. A bike, there, there's really nothing proprietary about a bicycle. Like, it, it can be easily, well, I mean, not easily, but it can be knocked off and somebody can have something similar that does the same thing, right? Like, it's not like it's a new technology or anything like that. So, to that degree, it's like, there's only a limited defense on the product side. So, the, but the other thing, the other half of that, though, is the whole experience around a bicycle. It's not just that moment of purchase and you're using the product and you never have an issue with it. There's things like, you know, warranty, something stops working, you need to get it worked on. Okay, what does that experience look like? How are you handling that as a brand as, you know, what how is the customer being taken care of? There's it's it's just it's everything down to freight and delivery and communication and all the things that like you know, I, I'm buying this $5,000 product. Like I shouldn't have to lift a finger to have like this perfect experience and have all my needs taken care of. And if you're not doing that, then it's just the customer's just let down. And so, so, so much about what I think goes into our brand is it's one, it's just that we're just, we're values driven, right? Like everything we, that comes up, any situation, any new problem or challenge, it's all run through these filters of what, what are our values and what do we believe in? How do we think that this should be handled? What's going to do right by the customer, you know, almost like just the golden rule, right? Like if it was me, how would I want that brand to treat me? Um, it goes so much more like if it was just a product on the shelf, it's like you're kind of relying on the retailer to provide a lot of that. And that's, you know, every retailer is going to do it differently. Right. But, you know, when it's direct to customer, it's like everything is is on you. It's like if something is lost in shipping, it's your fault. How are you going to handle it? Right. Or if you're maybe a a brand that's not as good, kind to their customers, you're going to say as long as as soon as it leaves our warehouse, you're, you're responsible. But in the end, like... I look at what, actually what Zappos has done, you know, the, yeah. and it's all about exceeding those customer expectations. So, and it's down to the little things like, uh, you know, we typically get the bike shipped out within 24 hours and then delivered within four or five days. You know, it's a big product shipped via freight, but we kind of had this revelation that if anything, any little thing along the pipeline doesn't go perfectly, that bike might take six days, it might take seven days to get delivered. It might take two weeks, you know, all these little things can happen. At which point now the customer is disappointed. So we actually just change on the website. Look, you can expect your bike within two weeks, right? And then if you get mm. it within four or five days, you're like, oh my God, that's awesome. It's like, whoa, yeah. you know, nothing changed about anything on the logistical side. It's just, we're now exceeding your expectations. And and so that's actually, mm. you know, value number one is like, we're going to exceed customer expectations, whatever that means. And so I give a lot of leeway to my customer service people. Like, look, like, don't come ask me, what do I do here? Can I do this? Can I do that? Just make the customer happy. Whatever would make them happy, just do that. I don't even care what the dollar value is because I'm mm. concerned with the long-term, not the short-term. The long-term value of the brand versus short-term financial things. Okay, yeah, we, we lost $500 because we did X, Y, and Z for the customer, but now they're an advocate for life and they're going to tell everybody that they know about it. And hey, maybe they even sell a bike to a neighbor or two and it's like, that $500 is nothing compared to, you know, selling another $5,000 bike or something like that. One of the the themes you were touching on there, Aaron, which is, you're right, you, you are a high consideration product. Somebody typically is not just going to jump on on a whim, see this, buy it, you know, and there you go. You know, this isn't, uh, it's not deodorant or macaroni. Um, so <laughs> how does the brand experience of a specialty high consideration product like yours how does it need to differ from more of a mass retail 
or a mass product consumable approach? It, it almost just piggybacks off of what I was saying, where it, the, the customer experience is a big part of it. And, you know, I, I like to think of it almost as like as a concierge experience or there's a great example that the, the Airbnb guys put out in an interview, which is you know, they called it like the, the seven star experience or something like that, where, you know, a five star experience, you know, somebody's going to leave you a five star review. They're going to do that if you delivered everything as expected. Hey, it's a great product. I got it in time. You know, it was easy experience buying it. No, no issues, no frustrations. Five stars. And that's it. You know, it's a, it's a transaction. You gave me everything that I asked for. You get to review. We go our separate ways. But you think beyond that, it's like, okay, what what would a six-star experience look like, you know? And, you know, for us, it's like, okay, well, what if we promised two weeks and you got it in four days, right? Is that, And then I got that Zappos does that all the time with repeat customers. They're, they automatically just upgrade overnight shipping sometimes just to surprise the customer, mm-hmm. right? It's like, wow, oh, wow, that was awesome. You know, and for us, it's like, you know, the way that we deliver the bike, the rest of the bike industry, they're shipping out bikes and parts, right? Like you have to kind of build it. There's like some assembly required, right? It's like, um, but I look at our product and it's like, this is this is different than a bicycle. This is, it's almost closer to shipping a motorcycle to somebody. Would, would you ask somebody <laughs> to build their motorcycle, Hopefully right? Not. Like when they got it, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, it's this big thing that's, you know, and if to, it takes us, and we do this every day, it takes us like four to five hours to put one of these things together. Like we're going to ship that to the customer and ask them to do that. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So, we're going to ship these fully assembled, tuned up, ready to go. You open the box. All you have to do is just take it out and you're ready to ride. Like, Cause that's all you want to do. You get the bike. All you want to do is ride it. Right. And so we try to reduce that friction as much as possible. Just you get the bike, there it is. And you ride away, you know, and your, your smile is right from the very beginning. And so, you know, that, that's a six star experience. You don't have to lift a finger. You don't have to get the tools out. You don't have to pull up the manual and turn it upside down. It's like, it's just right away and go. And, so we're always looking for ways, like how can we make it more magical, more, you know, less friction, easier. Like I said, the concierge experience. And I tell my customer service people, like, look, when somebody calls on the phone, your goal is to keep them on the phone as long as possible to satisfy every question or whatever they have. They're the most important thing in the world when they're on that phone with you. And I've had conversations with customers that go on an hour and a half and we stopped talking about the bike at like minute five. That's right. You know? I've made so many friends to this business. Like I could go any city in the country and probably have a, a couch to crash on because it's it's been more than just this transaction, right? It's like, I I know about your family now. I know like, you know, I've got customers I text on a regular basis and we're not talking about bike stuff. It's just, you know, I just have made these connections with people because we've made ourselves available to do so. And, you know, it's, so it's just, and it's taking everything that they say about, Hey, well, I think, you know, I, I didn't have a great experience because of this. And it's just apologizing, owning it. Hey, we could do better. And we're going to make sure that we're better about that in the future, you know, and just acknowledging that they have a voice. And it's, you know, everything that goes into the customer experience is what makes selling uh, high, I guess, high consideration products, as you said, online different from mass retail, because mass retail, you, the product is all you have, because if the product's not perfect, well, they're not going to contact the brand if I... But when you're selling these things, like the customers, they have more questions. They feel more direct connection to you as a brand and they're going to come to you first and how you handle it when they do come to you, that's everything. Because, you know, I, a lot of our best reviews have come from the most upset customers mm. and it's the way that you turn it around and make it right to them that just, you know, that that's everything. So it's one, we, we have a, a saying that we use uh, at PB&J and sort of the idea of 
it might not actually even be your fault, but it definitely is your problem. It's your responsibility. Yeah, there you go. That's a better. That's a better way of saying the same thing. But, but you're you're bang on. You're you're at the end of the day. It, it is your problem to, to work with, and and how you choose to work with that customer, how you choose yeah. to solve that problem, um, is if, if what I'm hearing you say is that's the defining factor on the experience end after the table stake of having a great product. What I tell my guys is like, look, if if the customer has to ask you to do something to make something right, then we messed up. Like we should be so proactive that we know there's an issue. It's like, so I will try to get them like, hey, if there's a shipping delay or some some weird thing happens or they temporarily lose it inside the warehouse, but you know what happens, things happen in freight. It's like, as soon as we know about that and we know it's not gonna meet the expect, expected delivery time, let the customer know, refund their $199 shipping, which is significant, right? Like, and they're like, whoa. And they're surprised. Like they don't even mind the delay at that point yes. because they know that somebody on the other end is caring and is on top of it. And they, it just communicates to them that we are going to make sure this bike gets to you one way or the other, you know? So you, you have this like beautiful symbiotic interplay between the table stakes of having just like a magnificent product and, and building on top of that and almost like armoring, building trust, building that connection. Um, you touched on originally this idea of, of community. So you now have a name that, that people recognize or very quickly can come to understand what it means and, and what it evokes for them and uh, what that experience is going to be like. So as your brand grows, how have you found that that adoption uh, has has grown or, or come with it? Just based on the fact that, oh, Bunch is putting this out. I want to take a look because I know it's going to be, it's going to be great. As, as we've grown beyond a single product company, what does that mean? Because in the beginning, it's like I'm scratching my own itch. I've got a bike for families. It's going to be the best bike for families. It's going to be everything that I want, that I need here. But then in the course of doing business, you see all these opportunities tangential to what you're doing. And you talk to customers who they're interested, but they want this, this, and this. And it's not quite what you have. You know, we've got customers for special needs. You know, they've got a, a you know, 15-year-old child with Down syndrome. It's like, okay, they want a, a bike like this, but not exactly like what we have. And so that's just one example. And then we, the, we found out early on, it's like, oh, people are buying these bikes to ride with their dogs. Like their 10-year-old dog who can't walk anymore, who has cancer or is just older, is too big to fit in a trailer. Like, okay, that's like a big chunk of our customer base is dog people. Okay, how do we make this bike more specific for dogs? Well, let's put a door. Like, so like over time, you see all these opportunities and it be, starts to become overwhelming to the point of like, we can't do everything and you have to start making choices on what fits in with the path that we're currently on and what's divergent from that and is just a shiny object that's distracting, right? And so in the beginning, it's a, it was a very, very narrow focus and I had to see, okay, what are these opportunities that we want to take advantage of and do we have to broaden the scope of what the long-term vision is and what the goal is and what the brand's about to be able to encompass these things and should we, right? And then we've got, you know, we've got a guy in Dallas who's bought, 12 bikes for his ice cream business. And he's like, you know, <laughs> he's selling bike, ice cream in these neighborhoods. Like, well, is this a bad thing? Do, do I want to stop supporting this? Because he doesn't, he's not putting kids in the bike. Like, okay, so where does an ice cream bike fit into the mission of, you know, Bikes for Family? So, so what is the yeah. brand about? It's number one, it's like, okay, it's going to be about 
quality, whatever we put out, whatever the price point, whatever the product, quality is going to be the focus. We're never going to sell like mass market, like cheap stuff. Like that's not the goal here. Whatever we do, it's quality. Then secondly, we're just going to, we're going to impact and enrich lives, whatever that means. We're going to broaden it to that, to that wide, whether it's somebody buying a bike for their small business, whether it's somebody with special needs or a dog owner or a preschool that wants to bike their kids to the park or an in-home daycare or, um, or, you know, a company that wants to do them for local deliveries or a pizza company or, or whatever it is like, you know, or a bike to an arboretum to do groundskeeping or, you know, or this, a city in New Jersey who wants to, you know, buy bikes for their compost program. Like there's all these different use cases for this product. And it's, it's about impacting and enriching lives. So Aaron, have you, have you found then that, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is this true for you that you've been able to leverage the bunch brand to have exponential impact on the world in a positive way? You know, I think so. If I, early on, I, I kind of had two paths in front of me. I, you know, I thought this, this kind of bike just needs to exist. Maybe I just need to go, maybe I just need to be like a retail, maybe I'll buy cargobike.com and I'll just like, I'll just be like a kind of e-commerce site drop ship or get in other brands or whatever. And when, when I looked, it's like, can you build a brand around a company who's just selling other people's stuff? And what, what I wanted though, is like, I, I, I'm a guy who's driven by values. I know I take care of customers and in a way, like if somebody's going to be kind of leading the growth of this category, I want it to be somebody like me who's about the mission and purpose behind it and not is not just looking for, you know, it's not just looking for a buck. You know, if I was doing this to make money, it, it would have stopped being motivating a long time ago because I've yet to see a, a pile of cash in front of me, right? Yeah. So um, it's it's not really about that. I mean, and that that's huge and it speaks to our soul, I know, so... And well, and it's such a big leap. Like, what was that just for? I, I know we're kind of coming to the end here, but tell us a bit about that journey of from going from like a successful e-com business, but was largely, like you said, like dropship based or other products that you were selling into this like high touch product design brand building experience. Yeah, it's 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 been a journey for sure. Like like literally, my first product I ever sold on Amazon like seven or eight years ago was like I just imported some jewelry from Europe. And like, I literally just threw it up on, on like a generic product listing or something on Amazon. I, there was no brand. I'm just slinging a product and, and, but immediately I was making money. Like it was, right. like, I think I was my first day. I was like, I hope I sell one of these things. And I sold 30 and the next day I sold 40. And it's like, oh my God, like I, I was out of stock in three days. And it's like, okay, like this is pretty cool. But by the time I was back in stock, you know, this is a kind of a, a hot trend that was just taken off and there's now a dozen other people doing the same thing three months later, all of a sudden I don't stand out anymore. Now I'm selling one a day, maybe. It's like, okay, so how do I stand out amongst a crowd of people selling the same thing? It's like, well, it comes down to branding and presentation. If you're not going to differentiate on product, like that was the, the thing I was able to do next. But in the end, it's like, even that wasn't really enough because I don't own my distribution. I'm selling on Amazon. I'm just kind of like, I'm just selling to people who are just searching for the generic product and they just get mine because it's higher in the search or whatever, but they don't know anything about me or the company or they're not going to my website, you know? And so I, I decided whatever I do next one, I need to, I need to own the experience and, and I don't want to be dependent on some marketplace or some third party channel. Like right now, 0% of my income is from, from Amazon. Right. And, and, uh, 
it's almost exclusively on our website. And so the, we, I'm able to manage the, the whole communication and everything around the product and the education of it and everything to where that the messaging isn't getting lost on somebody else's platform. So that was a part of it too. It was just, I just, I was so dependent upon Amazon and, and that product, it really just, it was just me making some money and achieve some personal goals of like freedom and location freedom and like time freedoms. Like, yeah, Amazon's great because I don't have to pack and ship product. They're shipping it out of their FBA warehouses. Cool. But what's the purpose? You know, like what, how is this impacting the world? I'm just like, you know, it's, it, actually, I don't. I don't even like this product. Really, it's. So, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm doing the opposite. So, now that I know kind of how to operate an online business, I had to kind of. I know have some marketing chops or whatever. Now, like, what's going to impact the world the most? And it was, you know, I was looking. That's just how, you know, how I came on came onto the bikes because that's what I'm. You know, I believe in bikes as transportation for changing our cities and the environment and, um, you know, just you know, I, I haven't. I sold my car a long time ago. It's like the bike's how I get around. So um, even with my kids, so it's it's kind of just here's how I can impact the world, and here's the way that I'm going to do it is, is you know through my own channels. Yeah, we we love that so so much. It's 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 huge, and I think you you know showing our cards a bit. You kind of nailed a a belief that we hold near and dear, which is how do you stand out from a crowd of the same. And it's just exactly what you said. That that's when it comes down to brand. So, and and brand isn't just that visual thing, right? Well, and that's an ongoing challenge too. It's like you know, where are my strengths? And it's not it's not in product. You know, like I in the beginning, I wasn't sure if there was a market here at all. So, I mean, I I didn't reinvent the wheel from the ground up. I, I was like, okay, phase one, let's just get a product here and see if any. What do people think about it? Because as soon as I start getting feedback, I can iterate and make improvements. But until I start getting these things in people's hands, I don't know what people want, right? So I went to a factory. Hey, they're already making bikes for the European market. Hey, I want I want one of those too, but make X, Y, Z changes to it, um, whatever, and just get it out there and start selling as soon as possible. And I did that. And now kind of through that and learning and making improvements and changes, okay, now we are actually looking at this deal with Argo and other things that we have in the works behind the scenes, like, now we're going to design kind of our own stuff from the ground up, but we've already got this kind of brand built around it. Um, oh man, there's a, there's a great book and I can't remember what it was, but basically there's two concepts. And one is like, you can be a product innovator where you're always innovating new product, but whatever you do gets ripped off and knocked off every year or two. And you're always constantly having to innovate and improve. And if that's what you're dependent on, at some point, you maybe you run out of ideas or you have an idea that falls flat or isn't successful. And if that's all you were hanging your hat on, you, you you kind of run out, right? But if you build a brand around what you're doing, the experience and everything else, it, it doesn't matter if somebody knocks you off. You know, I, I have knockoffs right now and the way they do business makes me laugh. And it's every time I read the reviews and customers say, oh yeah, I talked to this company and then I talked to you. It's like, I just shake my head. It's like, how could anybody operate that yeah. way? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make it. And so, yeah, it's like, yeah, you might put, you might put a, you know, flashy website or, you know, you might make it, you know, things look good or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like, if you're treating your customers like garbage, then like, I'm not really worried about you for the long term because you're not going to have that, that you're not going to have that same staying power. Right. So yeah, I have improvement ideas for the product, but at the end of the day, it's like, that's not where our strength is. Our strength is in our, in our people. We have great people and our values we have great values. And you know, what do we believe in and what's our mission? Why are we doing this? You know, what's the, you know, people, people our age, like more and more, they want to know 
what a, why a company exists, what are they doing? They want to know who they're doing business with. Like, you know, my wife's always looking like, is this company owned by a you know minority or is it like, what, what's their purpose? Or, you know, do they have Black Lives Matter somewhere on their Instagram or, you know, all these little things that, you know, it's, they're more and more concerned about who they're doing business with, or, you know, are, they say it's ethically sourced. Is it really, where are they getting their stuff from? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like all these things really, really matter now versus more than, you know, but as long as your product is great and you have all these other things, then I think, I think you're in a position to continue to, to grow and be successful. Couldn't agree more. I feel like this conversation touched on so many just beautiful, perfect parts uh, in even a past episode. So I'm, I'm sad. That's what you get when you talk to me. I just ramble and I go on soapboxes and it's like, this is, I don't know, it, it, and it kind of draws people around me, you know, it gets people excited and they stay around because I just, I just go on and on and on. And once you get me talking, I don't stop. So it's, I don't know. I'm, that's the classic like visionary, visionary kind of uh, syndrome. It's like all these though. ideas bouncing around in my head and I got to get them out. I have a question from the peanut gallery, completely unrelated to this. Julia on our team wanted to know about Shark Tank. Can I ask you about Shark Tank? Yeah, ask away. How, just let's just, how was that, man? I just felt like it was like, I was just nervous for you. Oh man, it, <laughs> you know, I can't reveal much as far as the audition process go. Just, it is very thorough. They do a lot of vetting to make sure your business actually exists and is actually doing things and you're not just a charlatan, yeah. right? So. At the end of the day, it's TV and it's entertainment. And if everyone was super polished and prepared, that's boring, right? That's not that's not interesting. So there, there's definitely a mix of like entrepreneurs that are well on their way and the guy with an idea that's half-baked. And I think they let them slip through the cracks anyways, knowing exactly how it's going to go because it's going <laughs> to be entertaining to watch, which is a little bit sadistic and makes me like, I have mixed feelings about that. But uh, I applied for the show having never watched it. Like I, I actually never watched it until like I was already in the audition process. Like, okay, well, it looks like it might work out. I better figure out how this works. And so then it turned into two months of like every night I'm watching three episodes a night. I got a Word doc that's like a mile long with every single question that's ever been asked to anyone. And like if a shark wrote a book, I read the book. If they had a podcast, I got I listened to every episode of the podcast. Like I mean not only do I want to know every question they asked, I want to know every question they could possibly ask me knowing their personalities. And I had an answer and flashcards and everything. And you know, there were some things they picked on more than I thought they would. And so I wasn't maybe prepared to go to war on certain things like they appeared to want to do. But, um, and then some things I thought I was really prepared on that it was a non-issue to them. Like, you know, I, I thought they're going to beat me up on the price. And the first thing out of Kevin's mouth is like, oh, I love high prices. Oh, well, I thought you were going to be the one to trash me, right? So I'm kind of caught off guard because this was became a non-issue. And I don't know. I don't remember if that made it to the cut or not, but... Um, it did. I remember seeing yeah, that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's like, okay. And then they beat me up on the distribution thing. It's like, yeah, okay. We The Dutch bike's like, yeah, we're, we're kind of like a distribution partner for them. But still, it's like, there's been other companies that have been on the show with very similar arrangements and the complete opposite reaction from the sharks. Oh, yeah, we think the business model is great, whatever. So it's like, okay, they're not going to have an issue with it. And then I wasn't prepared for them to have an issue. But, you know, a lot of it's also an immense pressure, right? And not everyone does well on stage. And so you might have prepared and you just crumble in the moment. You know, I, but I used to be a performing musician, right? So I've been on stage hundreds of times. And I'm, if anything, I'm like, my brain becomes sharper in that environment. Like, I'm yeah. able to recall. It's like, 
in the hotel room, like the week, like I had to quarantine for two weeks before like doing it. Like they locked me in a hotel room. Basically I couldn't leave <laughs> and they're sending me room service three times a day. And like, I'm going crazy. Like I can't focus. I can't think it's like, I just want to get out and go for a run. And, and like, I'm asking myself questions like, Oh, I don't know my revenue last month. Like I, I can't, I remember. And it's like, I'm going nuts in this hotel room. But then like on stage, it's like, it's, it's like all like perfectly recalled. It's like, I, I know everything. It's like, I just, it just came to me in that moment. Whereas people sometimes I think have the opposite reaction mm-hmm. where they're all they're thinking about is the lights and the camera crew over here that like, you're supposed to not look at and, but they're there <laughs> and you know, they're there and you know, and the sharks are like coming at you and they're all shouting out their different questions at different times uh, or at the same time rather. And so it's like, you're trying to manage this multifaceted thing under immense pressure, knowing that's going to follow you around for the rest of your life. And I think it just is too much for people to handle. <laughs> so it just ends up not going and ends up not going well. And then I think, I think there's also a selection where they, they know it's not going to go well and they pick them anyways. I think that you, you got to have it. Yep. Like on my, on my episode, there's like with a hairy grabster or something. And it's like, oh my God, like this product, nobody's going to buy this product and it's just not going to go well. And you've, you've sold, you've sold, you've sold six of them and it's like, oh God, like. But entertaining <laughs> like, for sure. But entertaining. Yes. But I think even if you've got a good, if you've got a good self-esteem and good kind of like, I don't know, just self-confidence, even in that environment where you've got a half-baked idea and you haven't really gotten traction, you're still trying to figure it out. If you're just humble and kind of just got to, you know yeah, you know, I'm working on that or whatever. Like it can be a fun kind of entertaining, positive experience. But if you just get dejected and like take those things and get all sad about it and it's like, you know, or defensive about it, well, now it's just like, you kind of look like this person who doesn't have it all together. Whereas, you know, we could have maybe related to you as somebody who's still trying to figure it out. And instead it's like, you know, the the producers only have the material that you give them to work with. So they're going to, you know, uh, what I, what I do like about Shark Tank though is it's probably the most real reality TV gets. It's like there's there's one take, there's no redos. You go out and it's just cameras on, and anything that happens is fair game. So you know it's like open water. <laughs> oh yeah, open water. So, the and then you're out of there. It's like wow, you know. It's like and you know it can go poorly or you have no idea. So it's it's like this wild ride that was like really exciting to do and then and then you do it and you don't even know if it's going to be aired because they don't air everything that yeah. they film you know they got they film extra right so then it's like i didn't find out till like two weeks before it aired that I was, it was actually going to be aired at oh, all yeah. so that was <laughs> love it man thanks aaron in aaron's eyes the customer is always his north star He's hyper-focused on ensuring that they feel heard and have a direct connection with the brand. To do so, he's implemented a system that proactively seeks to solve any customer problem. So the only thing they need to do is sit back, relax, and enjoy the magic that is Bunch Bikes. Aaron, thanks for taking the time to chat with us and share your recipes for success with the Commerce Chefs community. And that's a wrap. Our first ever long form interview released into the world. We hope you found it helpful and gained some new ideas to make the brand you lead even better. And if you're looking for even more insights and recipes for success, make sure to follow us on social at Commerce Chefs. And remember to join the Commerce Chefs community launching this fall. Save your spot and join now at CommerceChefs.com slash community. In the meantime, we're currently deciding which spicy interview to share with you next. Make sure to tune back in on August 5th to find out who it is. 
And lastly, if you like this episode and you want to support us, you know you want to, make sure to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating and review. Until next time, this has been a dash of Tom. And a pinch of Kyle. And a few cups of Aaron? Yeah, sure. We'll be cooking with you in two weeks.